How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Gabby Reese Show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Dr. Pedre. Dr. Vincent Pedre is not only an internist, he is a functional medicine certified practitioner. And what I love about him, he's also an author. So he wrote a book called Happy Gut. He starts you off with a quiz. He kind of gives you the backstory on all the things that are connected to the gut, which is your mental health, your physical health, your energy, weight, inflammation, ability to sleep. He gives you so many recipes and foods. So if you have, if you're good, if your gut's doing good, if you've got some moderate issues, if you're severe, if you've got IBS, if you have, you know, a bunch of things that are quite common. So what I love about this is it's again, getting us reconnected to how am I feeling? What am I feeling? The questionnaire does that. And then, okay, what can I do about it? Dr. Vincent Pedre, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. So your first book, The Happy Gut, uh, and now you have a follow-up book called The Gut Smart Protocol. And the first thing that jumped out uh, to me about this book was the fact that you break it down, and we're going to get into all the important things about the gut, um, but also you've created a real workbook for people and a manual to kind of hold their hand. So there's a quiz there's tons and tons and tons of recipes. And so I, I really think you did such a beautiful job of up, up top explaining, hey, you don't even need to have symptoms to have gut issues. Um, and But if you do have some of these seven, I think there's sort of seven kind of categories of symptoms, then, okay, maybe this is what's happening. And here's the how we can, how, how we can take care of it. Because one thing talking uh, on this show all the time, the thing that comes up over and over and over again is how really the gut is connected, whether you want to talk about your digestion, your skin, your mood, it's just connected to everything. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's what really inspired me to get into the realm of gut health because of having myself suffered from a whole bunch of gut health issues growing up. So I did have gut symptoms, but then seeing and working with patients over the last decade with gut health issues and how remarkably how they get better when you start with the gut, because I, I say it's like building a house, like you wouldn't build a house without a foundation, right? Cause the house could easily sink. It could crumble so you, you always build the foundation first, and then you put the house on top of that foundation. Well, if you're thinking about the house of your health, the foundation for it is your gut and your gut health. Everything, to me, goes downstream from there. I was thinking kind of like, a, like, you know, those chain of dominoes when you stand all the dominoes 
and you just tip the first one over. Well, to me, that first domino is your gut. And when your gut goes, then the downstream effects are your skin, your brain, your metabolism, your hormones, your immune system, your, your lungs, your joints, everything else is downstream from, from the gut. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate it. I always find sometimes that the most passionate healers are people who've had their own journey of sorts in this and that you didn't even figure out. And, and I actually, I think a lot of people feel like, oh, I'm just, that's just how it is. That's how I feel that you personally had things that you were dealing with and you didn't really navigate until you were in your thirties. Yeah. And, and I think part of that, it was one having lived with it for so many years where it just becomes the background noise. So you stop hearing it and you just think, well, this is the way my body behaves. Sometimes I go out, eat, and I'm rushing home and I'm in the bathroom and don't know why. I realized, you know, once I discovered functional medicine, that there were many reasons why. It's just that I wasn't taught those reasons in traditional medical school. So, you know, you get, you, you start thinking that, um, you know, you just treat these symptoms like you have IBS. So we give you, or you have acid reflux. So we'll give you an antacid. We'll give you an acid blocker or you've got IBS. So we'll give you an antispasmodic. We'll give you something to help with the pain in your gut, but we're not really looking at the true underlying cause mm -hmm. of why this is going on. And I think I was lucky that I was in the health field and always in search of and in the quest, really in the quest for the ultimate truth, you know, not believing that I had been given the, the complete picture through my traditional medical school training. Uh, I would read a lot of books. I was always looking at different viewpoints and al alternative ways of thinking about health, which now have become mainstream. But back then, when I was looking at these things back in the 90s and the early 2000s, this was not mainstream medicine at all. This was kind of on the fringes, but calling us to awaken to something different, that things weren't quite right. And, and it was through functional medicine that I, I took a, a second look at myself because by then, I, in my thirties, I had thought, well, this is kind of like, I've just kind of settled into the way that my body operates and not realizing, well, gluten is an issue or dairy is an issue or, you know, that these things are affecting my immunity. They're affecting my skin health, my propensity to get sick, my, my sinuses. And I wasn't connecting the dots. The dots were there. And here I am, a, a fully trained doctor, but I was not connecting the dots because the dots that I had to connect were going against what the mainstream believed was a normal part of life. Like everybody goes and has pizza from time to time. That's considered a socially acceptable food that is one of the most common foods that are eaten throughout the United States and, and maybe around the world. And 
I didn't realize that, okay, well, every time you have pizza, you're running to the bathroom an hour later and you have loose stools or diarrhea. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't making, I was just thinking, well, this is just the way my system operates. Like this is just it. Maybe it's the cheese and, and all that. I wasn't making the connection. And I think this happens with a lot of people. They're, they're experiencing symptoms in their bodies and they're eating things that are causing those symptoms but they're not connecting the two. Yeah. They're not really connecting the two because you're, you're part of a society where having these foods has been normalized and unbeknownst to us, right underneath our noses, the food industry was changing the character of these foods over time. You know, so wheat was being hybridized. The gluten content in wheat was increasing in the middle of the 1900s as a way to make wheat more drought resistant. So in a way, you know, it came from a desire to make food accessible and available to all of humanity, right? So, so it had an egalitarian, you know, impetus to, to make wheat able to withstand different types of environmental conditions, the problem is as they did that and they hybridized the wheat, it increased the amount of gluten content by 50%. And we're just not designed to handle that amount of gluten. Yeah. I always love the expression just because it's normal doesn't make it right. And I think we have a lot of that in our world. Um, and even, you know, alcohol has, I feel like a place in the world like that, where there's these things that are so highly normalized, but they don't actually really support us. And, um, and interestingly for me with technology, everyone's measuring and we, we have conversations in our house about also kind of tuning in to how you're feeling versus needing something to tell you. And I think that point that you made of people just kind of stepping back and going, oh, I feel bloated. I'm gassy. I, you know, I, I have acid reflux, like just tuning into how does it impact my sleep? And, and you talk also about, um, in, Intu intuitive eating and intuition eating and, and things like that in the book. And, the, and for me, that was like a reminder to people of in certain ways, we still are always going to be our own best doctor. And it's for us to, people are busy. They're stressed out. They almost don't even look up uh, to this. So I, I really ap appreciated that, that approach. So maybe we can just start um, and identify, you mentioned it, but it's, you know, seven related categories, symptoms. And, and again, people can have gut issues and not have symptoms, but it's skin, your airway, the brain, cognitive function, and maybe Alzheimer's and dementia later joints, which that one really interests me because being active, I feel it right away in my joints first. That's where I feel it when I eat weird food, your metabolism. So for, for people who talk, think about weight loss or weight management, um, that's my new favorite word, weight management. Um, or uh, what's the, uh, yeah. And uh, it sounds very technical. Yes. And body composition. That's the other one. Like if you're managing body composition, I'm like, I'm like you mean losing weight and then your immune system. And maybe, you know, you, you, for people listening to this, they go, yeah, yeah, but this is overwhelming. So let's say someone knows they have a gut issue. Okay. We'll put that aside. Let's say somebody goes, something isn't right, but I don't have a very specific issue. What's the starting point for somebody to really, what test, how do they start? Because I think that's what keeps a lot of people away is they don't really have a good 
sort of confident uh, starting point? Yeah, I think lack of clarity is always a place that creates indecision, right? And and then there's, you know, a lot of it also has to do with commitment and the the desire to heal and and the desire to do the work that it takes to heal. Um, I say one place, you know, I put so much work into this. I'll, I'll show it for a moment. The, mm-hmm. my book, the gut smart protocol. I started with a quiz because after I wrote my first book, I realized that you can't always one size fits all people with gut issues or gut related health issues. And that's what a lot of the health books out there do. They give you a one size fits everybody plan. The problem is that that's not what works when it comes to gut health and people with gut related health issues. It's not what I see work. A person who has severe gut dysbiosis imbalances, they're going to have a lot of difficulty eating certain foods that maybe someone with moderate or mild gut issues will be okay with. Mm-hmm. So when I, when I decided to do my second book, putting kind of all my experience working one-on-one with people and, and just seeing how I held their hand through the process and how I could individualize for them. And I thought, well, let me do this in a book that can be used by anybody anywhere based on a quiz. So starting with a quiz, it's not a blood test. You don't have to collect your poop. I know some people are kind of sketchy about collecting their own poop. And look, I understand. Nothing, there's nothing that, like shipping your poop in the mail. You know what I mean? <laughs> Or, or putting that container on the toilet that catches the poop. Yes. As you're, it's, it's kind of, it, it almost reminds me of like, you know, when you were a kid and you were being potty trained and you have yeah. like the special toilet for that. Well, so I start people with a quiz. The quiz lets you know where you are qualitatively, mild, moderate, or severe, but it also gives you a score because there's a range in each of them. And so you get a number score anywhere between one and 450. And that score tells you what category you fall into, mild, moderate, or severe. So Dr. Pedre, you, I, I do love the scoring system because it also doesn't feel threatening. Like somehow it just, there's a, you make it friendly enough or even if it's like, okay, moderate or severe, that it's just, inform, it, the way you did the quiz, it makes it feel it just makes it feel inviting that people would continue to to say, okay, I'm going to not be freaked out by this. Yeah, it's basically just to figure out what is your starting point. And you're not competing against anyone. You're just getting a measure of where you're at and using that as a marker for your progress as you go. So, so Dr. Pedre, because... People, if they can't do blood work and they don't have to send in, you know, fecal matter, you know, tests and things like that, you've set it up so that they take a quiz, they get a score so they know, hey, it's, it's okay, it's, it's moderate, hey, this is a little more severe. And then from there, is that when they do the 28 day cleanse or how does it work exactly? This one I truncated into 14 days to make it even kind of less overwhelming and accessible to people. And so once you get your score, 
I have a whole list of almost anything you could imagine eating, every food divided into moderate, mild, and severe. And depending on your category, you know exactly what you can or cannot eat. For example, like if you're going out to a restaurant and you're making sure that what they have fits in your category. And then we have 65 recipes that people get that are divided also into mild, moderate, or severe. The cool thing is, is that as you progress in categories, severe is going to be the most restricted in terms of foods that they can eat. And yet there are still a lot of foods that people can have in the severe category. Once you get to moderate, you can eat everything in the moderate and the severe. And when you get to mild, you can eat across. And mild still has certain very um, minute, maybe some restrictions here and there, uh, just to help people really get back to health. So they do this for 14 days. And then at the end of the 14 days, the idea is take the quiz again, find out where you're at, get an idea of how your progress has been. One thing that I've noted uh, when looking at, uh, for example, different dietary intervention studies that have been done, uh, there was a study that was done in uh, last year, in 2022, and it was published in the journal Nature, and they were looking at the effects of diet on stress and could stress lower diet, looking at the effects through the gut. And what they found was that there was a gut effect that helped lower perceived stress in individuals by increasing fiber and fermented foods, which are in my program, but not for everyone. And I'll, I'll get to that. But the, the re I think the really interesting thing here was that the people, they also documented people's compliance to the program. So everybody who was doing the intervention diet gave themselves a score like, oh, I was on the, the diet 80% of the time or 20% of the time. They found that the people who had the highest level of compliance had the greatest drop in their stress levels. So I think that's important to note because, you know, you might do the 14-day program and at the end of it, maybe your score didn't move as much as you were hoping, but maybe when you reflect back and think, well, was I really compliant? Well, no, I, I would cheat here and there, and I wanted a glass of wine. My friends were having some wine. And, and so you weren't 100% compliant with the program because I know it works when you follow the program, but it's going to work differently for different people depending on your level of compliance and dedication to the program. And, and that's a good like self-reflection point. There are definitely times when I've done things where I've been maybe 50% in and you see the results you get and you realize, oh, okay, if I really want this, then I need to like up level my compliance. So I'm not pointing it out to be like pointing a finger at those people out there because I'm certainly one that battles with my own sometimes bad habits, things that I've got to break. And and it's not, not always easy, but I think having that, that feedback that's so easy to take, you know, just a couple of minutes, you take the quiz, then it gives you, it also gives you feedback on progress that a lot of times people don't see for themselves because either they forget that they were having a symptom, the, you know, you just can't see the progress when you're inside the picture yourself. Yeah. You know, a lot of times... Well 
a lot of times people don't see their own uh, improvements, but they have other people say like, oh, you look different. And I think for me, 14 days, it's like, hey, listen, maybe don't pick right before the holidays to do this. That, you know, like pick a time that you know you can sort of dedicate time to managing food for 14 days. Um, and especially if it's the first time, but yeah. Yeah. And, and I would actually, I, in something like that, I would like right now I'm doing something with one of my daughters. I have three daughters. Uh, she's a young adult and we're eating a certain way together and it's just making it so much easier. So I, I really feel like too, if you're living in a house, um, it would be kind of interesting if you, you could recruit another person. So you have an ally for adherence. It, I think it just makes it a lot easier. Um, and the book, I really want to, I want to reemphasize how much work you put into it. Like when you talk about the food, there is a lot of information and a lot of breakdown about food and the food categories. Now, what are the things that can really hammer the gut? Let's, let's start with stress because there might be people who they're exercising, they're eating well enough to be kind of gut supportive but they're stressed out out of their mind and they're not sleeping. Are you trashing your gut the same as if you're, you know, on cycles of antibiotics and, you know, drinking a bunch of alcohol? Like, does the body differentiate? You know what I say is that, and, and this from being in New York City and treating, you know, some very high strung type A personalities over the years, so I, have you, if you visited, you're smiling. So you've probably been to New York City. So you know what I'm talking about. But, you know, you can find them everywhere in the world. And what I've learned is that you cannot out-diet and you can't out-supplement a stressed-out lifestyle. Stress is the elephant in the room that if you try to ignore, it's going to squash you. And it's going to wreak havoc in your gut health, not just your gut health, but your, your whole system, it's going to create, again, it's that domino effect. And you cannot, you can't tease it out. You can't be this, this person who is perfectly eating, getting the fermented foods, taking all the right supplements, drinking the, the you know, the pH nine water, but you are stressed. I kind of want to say a bad word, but you know, stress yeah. the F out and, and you're wondering why you're not getting better because yeah. you're doing everything right, but you're not seeing the elephant in the room. You're not dealing with your stress. You're not creating safety for your, for your body, creating that, that vagal tone that is so necessary for the body to say, okay, I can heal. It's safe for me to heal now. Uh, it'd be fascinating to hear that conversation with those patients. They're in charge. They're probably high achieving. Is it like, Hey, go to therapy, meditate, take a yoga class. Like none of this is going to improve until you get your cortisol down and manage yourself. I mean, how do you, as a, as a professional doctor who has to walk an interesting line, um, that that's, that must be a fun conversation. <laughs> I love having these conversations with people and, you know, if I'm, if I'm one-on-one -on -one with someone, I'm always kind of, I call it pressure testing. Yeah. I might say something and see how they react. I'm looking at their body language. I'm looking at their facial expression and I'll go, I'll go as far as someone will let me go. 
uh, and depending on what their likes are, you know, cause I, I, I think you, you first kind of going back to that intuition, like you need to know who you are and what is the avenue that can access that part of you. So I've, I've had over the years, many adrenaline junkies who love doing their high intensity workouts, but you tell them yoga and they're like, Hmm, like yoga, I'm not going to go in a room and like stretch mm-hmm. for an hour and breathe. Like, but then for that person, I can say, well, do you like getting out in nature? Because studies have shown that spending 30 minutes, three times a week in nature lowers cortisol levels just by doing that. So can we get you out to the park? Can we get you out of the, the house, out of the apartment, out of the office and go walk through the park, spend some time in the park on your way home? Like get some nature, you know, the nature prescription in there. Or can I get you to do some breath work? You know, and I teach them how to do deep diaphragmatic breathing. And most of the time, these people have unregulated nervous systems. Their, Their sympathetics are firing. They're always go, go, go. You ask them to breathe and take a deep breath. And the first thing they do is this. Yeah, I love the vertical breathing. <laughs> you know, so they're they're breathing with their accessory muscles. And that's not the style of breathing that allows that internal activation of the vagus nerve, which I talk a lot about in my book. Yeah, chapter what is it? Chapter 10 is dedicated to the vagus nerve. Now, I, we let's slide over there for a second. You said that a lot of times, even if someone has, and I found this fascinating, um, if they've hit their head or damaged their vagus nerve in any way, that this can really damage the gut. It does. Uh, So they've looked at traumatic brain injury patients and within, like say traumatic brain injury, like, you, you know, you've been knocked unconscious, you're taken to the ER, the hospital, Within 30 minutes of a traumatic brain injury, you're getting vagal nerve uh, dysfunction. The, the signaling from the brain down to the gut gets disrupted. And the way I think of that, I guess now I should probably say it's like an, a fiber optic cable that's getting disrupted. I used to say, because I kind of think of it more like dial tone, like anybody who's old enough that had the old phones that you pick up and had a dial tone kind of what your body's doing. It's sending a tone down and that signal is controlling things like gut permeability. It's controlling the secretion of enzymes that we need for digestion. It's also controlling gut motility as well. So within 30 minutes of a traumatic brain injury, which I had when I was 19, I was in a bicycle accident, knocked unconscious, thankfully wearing a helmet that saved my life, woke up in the ER. Nobody knew back then. This is back in the, I'm going to say the early 90s. There was no concept of functional medicine, of the effects of leaky gut and and all that, unless you were in the really, really alternative uh, places then that knew about this. So within 30 minutes, your gut permeability is increasing. And what that basically is doing, it's kind of, it's opening the gates of the border control and it's allowing all of these inflammatory substances to come into your body. So now you just had a traumatic brain injury and your gut permeability is increased. 
inflammatory substances, your brain is probably already kind of rattled from the injury. Now you have all this inflammation coming in. And we know that when the gut barrier becomes leaky, then something very special that protects the brain, it's called the blood-brain barrier, that also becomes leaky. So now the brain is not protected from these inflammatory substances and your brain becomes inflamed. And that can be a big problem. I mean, thankfully for me, when I had my, my TBI, I woke up within 30 minutes. I was awake in the ER, but I had headaches for at least four to six weeks after that injury. Hmm. And what do you do for a headache? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, you take, take something, uh, you take over the counter, Advil, yeah. ibuprofen, Tylenol, and what that does is it also increases gut permeability. Yeah. You know, again, speaking of a, a normalized behavior that is okay because the FDA has approved these medications to be used over the counter. They have very fine print that warns you about the, the use of these medications. But like, for example, my, my sister had joint pains and she was taking, she didn't tell me she was taking, uh, some, some, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. She was taking it for a long period of time that had she asked me, but she never asked me, I've been like, uh, you have to be careful because that thing can eat a hole in your stomach. Well, she ended up with an ulcer and she had to go off of those medications. Instead, fish oils. It's so simple. High dose fish oil, protective for the brain. It's great for the gut. It's anti-inflammatory, it resolves inflammation, and it doesn't cause leaky gut. People think nothing of popping an Advil or an you know, aspirin, and, and, they ha- and they don't realize how fine the gut lining is and how it can perforate that so easily. So I really appreciate that. Now, going back to the, the vagus nerve, if you, let's say somebody has heard it, is it sort of, is it a a wait and see a time thing where it has to heal. And then you have to do everything you can with your food and lifestyle to support making sure the guts kind of regenerates or how, what, what does that look like? Yeah. I wanted to mention something that, you know, t- traumatic brain injury, they're, they're horrible. Thankfully they're not as common as other causes of vagal nerve dysfunction. Probably the biggest yes. cause of it is chronic, unrelenting stress. When you have chronic, unrelenting stress, that's going to have a deactivating effect on that vagus nerve. And, and how do you know? You're, you're a person who, when you get stressed out, you, you get sick to your stomach or mm-hmm. you're stressed and you start having acid reflux. Well, that's a sign that your vagus nerve is not firing properly or you're the type who gets stressed, you're going through a stressful event, maybe you lost a family member, uh, maybe you're going through a divorce, maybe you're going through a breakup, and you're sick to your stomach, and when you eat, the food feels like it sits like a brick in your stomach. Again, another sign of vagal nerve dysfunction. Hmm. And so there's, there's a lot of different techniques that we can use to, and, and also constipation, by the way, a lot of people have constipation actually have vagal nerve dysfunction because they're living again in that sympathetic, not getting into that relaxed parasympathetic state that allows the, those rhythmic contractions 
of the intestines and the colon to, to be able to have nice, regular poops. So in the book, I talk about 10 different ways that we can reactivate the vagus nerve. A lot of it has to do with stress reducing techniques, using breath work, using meditation, but you can also, because the vagus nerve travels here, so it comes from the brainstem and it travels along the neck on both sides, on either side of the vocal cord. So we can do things like gargling, even singing, like if you are, if you like to sing, like singing in the bathroom with kind of like this operatic tone where you're lifting your palate, well, that's helping to activate your vagus nerve. Or you can take some water, take a glass of water, and put a little bit of water in your mouth and gargle for about one minute or until the hint is if you gargle long enough to get a tear in your eye, then that tells you that your vagus nerve fired. I, uh, I heard once that when you're hunched over that you end up in fight or flight. Um, and I would imagine, cause if it's in your nature, you were probably vulnerable if you weren't sort of up and looking, but think about the position that we're all in that I would imagine not only does it put stress on your system, but I wonder what this shape does to, um, the vagal nerve cause we're in it so often. So I, so much of it makes I'll sense. Even, I'll even add something else. I don't talk about this in the book, but when you're in this position, for those of you listening, it'd be like if you're on your cell phone looking down. Yeah. If you're on, if you're like the typical person walking and looking at your cell phone, but the cell phone is down here, then you're constricting the, the connection of the cranium with C1. And, and when that goes out of balance, that actually constricts circulation into the, the, I'm not, it's not the midbrain. It's the, it's the medulla. It's the, it's the more reptilian brain, but that's also the part that controls sympathetic parasympathetic balance. And you, when you constrict circulation to that part of your brain, you get more into the sympathetics. So, yeah, I mean, I think also, you know, you're constricting your neck, you're affecting circulation there as well. And that's what I mean. Like things like that are so important because we have generations of people that they're in that position all the time and it doesn't occur to them. And yet they, it can really spin you out more than normal life stresses already because you're in these vulnerable positions. And, and by the way, whoever lives in New York city and is walking around, you know, not looking what's going on. I mean, to me, it's insane. I see people crossing the street, looking at their phone I, you know, it's just, we, I joke that in our house, we have a motto, pay attention. It's like, I think it's important. This podcast is brought to you by Maui Nui Venison. I first got Maui Nui venison as a present. It was an incredible surprise. It showed up my at my door and then I learned all about this incredible company. They're a mission-based company bringing the healthiest red meat on the planet directly to your door. I love that. It shows up. I'm actually on a reorder. So it shows up every month. I get my new package. Really easy to use, easy to integrate, isn't gamey. So I just cook it like I use all my other meat. It's it's just very easy and I got I, I have the Ohana box and first off, it's seriously 
it's so good and it's easy to cook. The whole family enjoys it. And I really feel good about it being a protein that, you know, it's from an ethical standpoint. So not only does the company provide the most nutrient dense red meat available, but their operation is the only one of its kind in the world. And they're producing stress-free hundred percent wild harvested red meat. So they are actively managing Maui's invasive axis deer population to restore balance to a really vulnerable ecosystem and food system and community in Hawaii. And I really recommend they've got ground meats and other cuts of meat, but they also have jerky sticks, bone broth, and a, a really wide variety of cuts available in their online butcher shop. They have an incredible offer for you today. You can get 20% off your first order. All you have to do is head to MauiNuiVenison.com slash Gabby, M-A-U-I-N-U-I-V-E-N-I-S-O-N.com slash Gabby. I'm always talking about ways to try to get more protein in our diets. This is one that you can feel really good about, but you don't have to do anything different. You can just cook the way that you usually cook. Instead, you're going to be using a meat that you know is not only so good for you, but that they're doing this as ethically as possible. This podcast is brought to you by Babbel. I don't know about you, but every time I travel, I think, why have I not been working on learning a different language? Only 22% of Americans, like one in five, speak a different language other than English at home. And I don't know, like when I travel, I think I really want to visit with these people in their language. And Babbel has an incredible offer for you. I feel like cold weather, fall is really a good time to start practicing it. And what I really appreciate about Babbel is they've got quick 10-minute lessons. They're designed by over 150 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. And I think this is what keeps it going. So you get motivated, you start to get a little fluent, you get in the habit, it just gets easier. And so instead of paying hundreds of dollars for a private tutor or messing around with these language apps, they really have it figured out. It's designed by real people for real conversation. And that's the other part that's important is like, you're thinking, when would I use this? Well, they've designed the curriculum that you go, oh, this makes perfect sense. All of Babel's tips and tools for learning a new language, they're approachable, accessible, and they're rooted in real life situations, which I think most of us, that's really what we want. And they're delivered with conversation-based teaching. So they, people have really thought about it and they even did studies that they said, whether you went from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. For instance, one study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. So a lot of us say, hey, I don't have time for it. I don't have money. Well, all of this is taken care of by this offer that Babbel has for you. And again, little 10 minute chunks, little lessons that you can do, even have the kids in the car and you know, mess around with that. So they've already got 10 million subscriptions sold and Babbel is real language learning for real conversations. And here's the special. It's a limited time deal for our listeners and you can get started right now. I've been tuning up on my Spanish. You can get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash Gabby. So go ahead and get 55% off at babbel.com slash Gabby. That's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash Gabby. Some rules and restrictions may apply. This podcast is brought to you by Vionic. 
I got my first pair of Ionic shoes a few months ago. I got the Georgie Mule and I love it. Number one, because it's so comfortable and easy just to throw on because Vionic really began by revolutionizing medical orthotics. I know that sounds like, how could that be cute? Well, it is. They use the best materials. They use rich leathers and suede. So you can go work wear ready favorites. They've got boots. It's getting cold outside. They've got weather ready boots for you. They even have performance sneakers. And you know how I feel about that because they want to keep you moving. So they started by medical orthotics and revolutionizing that. And they continue to do that. So they have incredible science and engineering that is in the shoe. And that leaves you feeling really comfortable and energized because at the end of the day, I don't know about you. I don't know if there's much worse when it comes to wearing footwear that is too small. And I have a really big foot. I have a size 12. That's another reason I love the brand. Every style comes in an 11 and several styles come in the 12. I've even bought the Georgie Mule for one of my daughters. I also have this kind of slip-on sneaker called the Kimmy. I love it for travel. It You can dress it up. You can dress it down. They just use best-in-class materials, but yet really putting that technology and that comfort inside the footwear. And I also really appreciate that when I leave them out, I have gotten compliments from my girls. It's sort of like tried and true. So maybe you really want to try them. They've got a 30-day guarantee. You can wear them, love them, or return them for a full refund. And that's within 30 days. So it gives you a lot of time to figure out, hey, is it working with my wardrobe, my lifestyle? And they have this incredible offer for you today. All you have to do is use the code Gabby at checkout for 15% off your entire order at vionicshoes.com. And that's V-I-O-N-I-C-S-H-O-E-S.com. And remember to use the code Gabby at checkout for 15% off your first order. So when you log into your account, that is a one-time use only at vionicshoes.com. This podcast is brought to you by Babbel. I don't know about you, but every time I travel, I kick myself that I haven't spent more time learning whatever language it is in the place that I'm visiting. It's like you want to connect with the people in a real way. Well, immersion, you know, that's the best way. But most of us can't move somewhere and, and you know, live there and learn the language, even though that's number one. But number two is with Babbel. And the reason that is, is first of all, they have it's really quick. They've got 10 minute lessons, and but they're handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. But what I love about it is it's designed by real people for real conversations. It's like, listen, we all want to know, like talk about food and directions and things like that. And Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real life situations and delivered with conversation-based teaching. So you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. And that's the other thing I love is just combining that because you think, okay, maybe using a trip that you have planned or getting together with family somewhere, using that as your motivation to get going. And you don't have to pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that maybe don't really even help you you know, speak a new language. In fact, a study showed, there was one study, they did studies at Yale, Michigan State, that Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours, that's nothing, is equivalent to a full semester at college. They've got over 16 million subscribers sold, plus all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. So here's the incredible offer. For a special limited-time deal for our listeners right now, you can get 50% off 
a one-time payment for a lifetime Babbel subscription, but only for my listeners at babbel.com slash Gabby. So to get 50% off at babbel.com slash Gabby, that's babbel, B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash Gabby. Some rules and restrictions may apply. I'd love to ask you if you say in your book that women are more prone to autoimmune than men. And there is studies that show, and it's, it's natural that women are more prone to negative emotion. So worry, you know, anxiety, is it, it, it's probably a biological reason. I'm sure, you know, it's, we're considering all things all at once. Um, where sometimes it appears that men seem to kind of be singularly focused more often. You know, again, this feels biological to me. Do you think the autoimmune, and I know it's it's food and it's all these things, but I, when I think about it, it's, it's like, hey, is it that worry? Is it that like, what's going to happen? Is everyone okay? Are we okay? I wonder sometimes if that opens the door more for those autoimmunes. Well, I think of worry or, or stress as an attack on the gut. And when you, when you activate those sympathetics from being in that worry state, you're actually going to also increase gut permeability. But they've also have shown in studies that being more in that worry state and stressed out actually also alters the gut microbiome. And that also has an effect on gut permeability and the integrity of the gut border, which then becomes the, the, the influx for that inflammation that basically overwhelms the immune system and at some point confuses the immune system because there, there is a strong belief that a lot of autoimmunity actually starts in the gut with the breakdown of the gut barrier with leaky gut. And yes, there is a, a genetic predisposition, right? There is a genetic predisposition that some people maybe are more prone to autoimmune disease than others. For example, my mother had rheumatoid arthritis and my older sister has MS, multiple sclerosis. And so when I, when I went on this journey, I was in my thirties and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm a male, so maybe I'm, I'm less at risk, but I'm worried that my gut issues are setting me up for autoimmunity down the road because I've got these risk factors that come through my family. Mm-hmm. And so that really also, um, I, I'm probably a bit of an unusual uh, male because I'm in the health field that I, I would be motivated to do things to prevent something way into the future. I think yeah. most people are doing something to get a, an immediate result now. I think now there's, you know, there's a lot of biohackers out there who are really looking to, to optimize and, and age better, you know, like, like get into your 50s, 60s, feeling young. And, and part of that is really taking care of the gut and the gut lining. So, but yeah, so it ties back to leaky gut. And you have to think because there is the biggest presence of the immune system is around the gut and all the, the, the gut lining. 80% of our immune system 
it is command central for the immune system. But if that command central breaks down, then it's going to send wrong signals. And eventually that immune system maybe starts attacking self or maybe through molecular mimicry because a bacteria kind of looks like your thyroid and now your body starts attacking your thyroid or gluten itself then causes thyroid inflammation or your body to confuse certain proteins around the thyroid for gluten because now you've developed the sensitivity to gluten with an immune reaction. And, and then next thing you know, you're developing autoimmune thyroid disease when you've been completely healthy and have had no issues whatsoever. And I see these patients all the time they come in, their thyroid numbers are great, but they, they have signs of autoimmune thyroiditis. Yeah. And immediately when I see this, I'm looking at the diet and I'm looking at the gut. And what are the connections there? Mm-hmm. Isn't it, I feel like I heard this, so maybe you can, you could do this. Cause I have a lot of friends like, oh, Hashimoto's and all of this. And it's only like 20% of thyroid has to do with thyroid. And like 80% of that actually has to do with the gut. And so instead of throwing someone on a thyroid medication, it'd be like, hey, fix the gut and not put them on a bunch of thyroid medication. Well, so the way it works is the thyroid is producing the master hormone, T4. It's like the, it's kind of like the, the savings account. It's, <laughs> it's, the, it's the hormone that is the base for the active hormone, which is T3. So T4 has to go through a conversion process. Most of that is not happening in the thyroid. Actually, 60% of it is happening in the liver. And then another 20% is actually being done by the gut microbiome. So that T4 is exiting the body, going into the, your, <laughs> inside your intestinal lumen, and then getting converted to T3 and getting recirculated back into the body. So if you think about it, between the liver and the gut microbiome, 80% of that T4 is being activated. And you have to make sure that certain micronutrients are balanced like selenium and zinc to make sure that that thyroid hormone is getting converted. So you're correct to say you know, that a lot of times we blame the thyroid when it's actually not the thyroid where the real problem is. Mm-hmm. The thyroid is just the innocent bystander of other issues that are coming from the gut. Yeah. I always feel because then you go to the doctor typically and you try to be, it's like, okay, well, you need to take this medication. And then I, I feel like sometimes it pushes our system further out of whack. Um, and then people, you know, they, and I've experienced this with injuries where I name them and move them in, you know, it's like, oh, the right knee. And it's always going to be like that. And I think we do that. Like, oh yeah, my thyroid doesn't work or I have autoimmune. And it's like, okay, well, that's just what I'm doing. Instead of realizing that there really is, there's so much we can do. Um, and, and things like what you're talking about. Um, so, uh, you know, p- people will hear dysbiosis if we can just, cause my whole thing is I would like to take, you know, this best high-end information that you produce and make it people for them to really understand. So they hear words like dysbiosis. Maybe you could just actually define it for them what it is. Imagine if your gut is a garden or this ecosystem like the Amazon rainforest, and that ecosystem thrives on a balance between a lot of different players in there, right? You might have some predators, you've got a lot of different plant species and whatnot. 
they live in this harmony. Then if what happens if you get rid of something in that food chain and then the predators start like over reproducing and the next thing you know the entire ecosystem is going off balance because of that that happened in uh in Yellowstone I think there was this whole thing with Yellowstone where they they tried yeah, they to did. they tried to get rid of the wolves but then they realized that it completely disrupted the entire ecosystem well this same thing can happen inside your gut When your ecosystem gets out of balance, we call it a dysbiosis, except here we're talking about the players are all these little bugs that are living inside of us. There's about a hundred trillion inside the large intestine and anywhere between 500 and a thousand different species. And in that array of bacteria and other organisms, there's about, there's probably like 10 to 12% that are quote unquote bad. They're not good ones but they are part of the ecosystem that when in balance, it's okay that they're there. And the entire ecosystem keeps things in check. The problem is when you do things like eat too much sugar or you go on a round of antibiotics and that comes in and that completely disrupts the ecosystem. And if you're highly stressed, if you're eating a lot of processed foods, if you're getting a lot of sugar, if you're getting a lot of omega-6 inflammatory oils, then when that ecosystem is trying to go back into balance, it can't because you're not giving it the, the substrate that it needs in order to go back into that balance. So then you had a round of antibiotics and then next thing you know, you've got yeast overgrowth. You're not feeling so great. Then three months down the road, you get sick again. You get another sinus infection. You go on another round of antibiotics. And now you get more dysbiosis. And then, and you go on this, like, it becomes like a, almost like a snowball effect. And I've seen these patients because they've come to see me after their ENT wanted to put them on a third round of antibiotics. And they're like, wait a second. And I'm getting yeast infections and I don't feel well. And that's because we have to do gut restoration after the antibiotics. The longer you are in the, in the path, then the more work it's going to take. It's not impossible, though. You have to have the right tools and know exactly what to do, incorporating the right types of foods that are going to support your gut and your gut lining and the gut microbiome. You know, I, I really appreciate that because I, I feel like, you know, people are very quick to just, oh, well, I'm, I'm sick, so I'll do antibiotics. And it, I feel like with the, with the exception of like an infection, you know, something that's there, it's like, okay, you have a cold and it might even be a bad cold, but maybe ride it out. Um, but to remind people the seriousness of that, you talk about antibiotics and also things being too clean, is, an, is not great. Like, you know, everybody with their hand sanitizer and just, you know, everything's wiped down and, and that this actually isn't great for us. No. And I think that that's, it's quite interesting because the more, if you look at the trend of autoimmune disease in India, as more and more hygienic practices have been introduced to the country, you see that pre this over hygiene Autoimmune disease like barely didn't exist in India. And then you look through the 1900s and you see this incredible rise in autoimmunity. And part of the idea is that, that this over 
sanitization. Again, same thing as with antibiotics or antimicrobial soaps. They are getting into your system. They are causing a dysbiosis. The dysbiosis, if we're talking about like a, like a row of dominoes, the dysbiosis is an upstream effect that when that domino tips, the next one is going to be gut permeability. So you're going to get leaky gut and then you get inflammation. And then depending on your own genetics and predisposition and stress levels and what you're eating and how much sleep you're getting, then that's going to predispose you to a whole host of other chronic diseases. Part of the, the research that I did for this book, I went to Africa and I had a chance to basically camp out with the Hadza, which are among the last hunter-gatherers on the planet. The reason that I was really gung-ho and, and like when I got the invitation, I was like beside myself, like jumping for joy, like what an opportunity to go meet a human time capsule. But really also because they had studied their gut microbiome and seen how diverse their gut microbiome is in comparison to a Western gut microbiome. In the, the studies, they had looked at an Italian cohort as the, as the comparison. So you can imagine Italians are eating tomatoes, pasta, lots of greens, like fresh food. Like if you've been to Italy, like the food in Italy is amazing, right? Like their, their normal food is what we call organic. It probably is even better than our organic and so they compared it to the Italian control group and their gut microbiome was way more diverse. They had less inflammation. And, but the more important thing is, is that the Hadza do not get any chronic diseases that we know of, like diabetes, like heart disease, cancer, dementia. Like they're basically resistant to these diseases. So we have to look at well, what's going on in the gut. How are they living well, they're not washing their hands. Like they go out for the hunt. They, they kill an animal. There might be blood on their hands. They're not washing. They're not sterilizing. There is no concept of that. So they're kind of living in this microbial milieu, which in a way creates a certain level of resilience because it's, it's like a hormetic stressor. It's like what everybody's doing now, like doing cold plunges and, and doing sauna therapy and, and all that. Well, the biggest hormetic stressors to be exposed to nature, to be exposed to the elements, to be exposed to the microbiome of the soil, which then does the opposite of what dysbiosis does, it enhances the diversity. It, it increases biological diversity and gut microbiome diversity, which is to me the holy grail of health. The more diverse you can make your gut microbiome, the healthier and more robust you will be. And that's a lot of what I talk about in my book is the, the strategies by which people can do this. Yeah, and, and you do mention in, in how COVID kicked our ass in a whole new interesting way with, you know, every, with the hand, washing the hands and everybody not going outside and not being exposed to anything that in a way that how vulnerable that really made us. You know, again, like the, the over sanitization. And I think, look, people do what makes them feel comfortable, right? Part of it, part of it is like what brings a sense of safety to you as a doctor, I'm, I'm more on the side of that. Yeah, we, we respect germs, 
But we also understand that germs are here to work with us. We live in a milieu. We are in an ocean of germs. There is no way of escaping them. And we're actually, our bodies have been designed to cohabitate with, with these germs because they create resilience in our system and they help program different parts of the system. You know, from the beginning, from when a baby is born and goes through the vaginal canal and gets coated with the microbiome inside the vagina, which is so important. And then when they get breastfed and that's helping feed and build the gut microbiome, that bifidobacterium infantis, which then is programming the amygdala to make the amygdala not overreactive so this child can feel safe and doesn't have this hyperreactive stress response that probably we see in, in a lot of people. I wonder if we trace it back, like, were you breastfed? Were you not breastfed? Were you formula fed? Like back in the 60s and 70s, they were telling every mom not to breastfeed their kids, like to formula feed. Yeah. And I was one so, of them. You were, yeah. I. It's funny. I always joke that um, in parenting, you know, you're always going to doubt yourself. Like, how bad did you do? Or, you know, did you do what? Did you do right? How bad did you screw it up? And and I was fortunate that I could nurse my children a long time. And I thought, okay, if nothing else, I could have blown everything else. At least it, you know, I did. I did that. And and if people can't do it for whatever reason. I totally honor that. That's not where I'm coming from. But I was just like, you know, if, if at least we could cover that because, you know, you're always doubting yourself. The, we've, the come, thing- we've come a long way with that too, because the new formulas now have those HMOs, those human yep. milk oligosaccharides, which are necessary. They're actually act as a prebiotic to build that gut microbiome of the, the baby, which is so important for so many like downstream health effects later on in life. Yeah. All the allergies and all the other things. Um, so you mentioned a prebiotic. So let's talk about the things we, you talk about fermented foods. Um, and then again, the market is full of like prebiotics and probiotics. Where do you, how should it's people navigate like, uh, that? Like, what do I take? Yeah, because it's, we're just, we're always adding more things. And I think people already feel overwhelmed. So this, I, you know, trying to figure out a way to almost simplify this. So they have the information and they go, okay, I know at least how to simplify this. That's really why I start with food and why my second book, my first book, I talked a lot about gut supplements and probiotics and stuff like that. And, and I think they're important they play in a really key role. And patients that I, that I work with one-on-one, we, we do use a lot of times probiotics for, for specific things like, um, you know, like an anti-inflammatory probiotic or for improving gut motility, like my restore uh, that I make for happy gut. But, but I'm also really big believer in, in understanding what is it that you can do with your nutrition that's going to have the biggest effects because ultimately we are what we eat and our gut microbiome is shaped by the foods that we're eating. And so you've got to get in the ferment, you've got to get in the fiber in different forms, 
but you might not be ready for it. And that's why I created the quiz, because if you fall in the severe category, there are certain fibers, there are certain, and you can't have fermented foods just yet because they're going to make you feel bloated and gassy and not so good. We've got to do some gut healing and then we can get to the ferment. What are the fermented foods going to do? They're going to increase microbial diversity. Okay. So again, ding, holy grail of health, working on diversity. And two, they're going to drop inflammation in your body. So there was a study done at Stanford University where they looked at a high fiber diet versus a high fermented foods diet. And they found that the high fermented foods diet was the one that dropped inflammation the most in the body, which actually, it even surprised me because I, I actually thought it was going to be the high fiber diet. And you wonder like, okay, so you're eating this ferment, the ferment, like say you're eating a yogurt, it's got a lactobacillus bulgaricus. How is that helping me? How is that having this, this bigger, broader health effect? It turns out that when you have a food that has been fermented, those bacteria are coming in and they're influencing the ecosystem. So we, we think of things in, in our Western world as magic bullets, like, oh, it's this thing. What is this doing? Well, no, it's coming in and it's, it's acting like a conductor and it's working on the ecosystem because maybe it produces a certain type of postbiotic that another bacteria likes to eat. So now this second and third bacteria species are now growing and they're favorable ones too, because this one arrived and it's, it's creating, it's created a home for itself. And now it's helping promote the, the growth and diversity through other bacteria, because we found that fermented foods increase diversity. So if you wonder like, what is the, the right diet for your gut? You've got to get those. The goal is eventually to get those ferments in. You may not be able to start with them if you're in the severe category. And when you're moderate, you can only test out like little bits at a time. The goal is to get you to where you can start having like two to three servings of ferments per day, even if possible. If, if somebody's gut was just, you know, we're going to give it extra love. The score wasn't great. And they're kind of, you know, step-by-step what are some of the, what are the, what are the things that really are supportive of them at, in that sort of rebuilding phase? Yeah. First of all is getting those fiber rich foods and getting the ferments. Uh, this may be something that anybody who, I don't know if your audience is more on the vegetarian vegan side or if they're, they're mixed. Because a lot of times I find that if somebody is vegan, it's really hard to heal the gut on a vegan diet. I hate to say it. Because the fiber's just kicking its butt? It's too much fiber. It's the plant, the, the phytic acid. It's the, it's the lectins in the foods. It actually is easier to heal the gut if you can incorporate animal protein as part of the protocol. And it's part, my, my protocol is open and can be used by anyone. And I speak to a lot of the, the issues that come up with lectin rich foods and like beans and the need to soak beans and make them more gut friendly. But ideally what I've seen in my own experience 
is that if I can get someone, even if I can get a, a vegetarian vegan to have some fish as their protein, because a lot of times they won't eat animal, you know, like land animals, but if they can bring in some of that, that, that is so healing for the gut, you know, it helps. It's just a much more, uh, bioavailable protein source. Dr. Pedro, are you walking on eggshells over there? <laughs> I'm just thinking of the vegans. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm talking on eggshells. I'm not walking on eggshells. I'm talking on eggshells. I think of the <laughs> oh, vegans I that are going to be, I mean, I, I would say like the worst thing you can do for your gut is eat raw kale. Yeah, of course. <laughs> it is, course. it is the, the most, uh, and, and the other day I, I was, I went to one of these, uh, I don't know if I can mention the chain, but I went to like a really reputable salad chain that I go to. And, um, they mixed up my order and they gave me kale instead of spinach. But I didn't, I, and I thought there was like some other things mixed in and I started eating and not realizing. And like, I was like, wait a second, this is not what I ordered. Mm -hmm. Well, I had eaten enough that I did not feel well, like an hour later because that, that kale is just so difficult for, for the gut to break down. But really, I, I really am a big believer in a more incorporating. If you look at my, if you look at the, the food list in gut smart protocol, animal protein is all in the severe category. Yeah. Like all meats, they are much easier on the gut. Now it depends on a lot of issues because if you're someone, it's like, well, I can't eat red meat because it sits like a brick in my stomach. Well, you got to look at vagus nerve activation and you got to look at maybe you're not producing enough stomach acid. And is that the reason that it's not sitting well? It's not that the meat is the problem. It's that your gut can't digest that meat because it doesn't have the digestive power to break it down. Do you like bitters or anything like that? Love bitters. I know that not everybody is uh, into bitters, but I think bitters are a great way to promote digestion in, along with incorporating ferments, but like bitter lettuces, like radicchio, or even taking bitters before meal to, to really start to stimulate the digestive juices. Or, or also another example would be to use apple cider vinegar pre-meals like a, a teaspoon of apple cider vinegar and a little bit of water. Um, you got to find what works for you and what you like, right? So not everything is for everyone. And a lot of times there's different roads that all lead to Rome. So you can use, you can kind of tailor the path to what you like while following the bigger, the bigger rules, which are like, don't have artificial sweeteners, avoid excess added sugar, and if you want to heal your gut, you can't have your drink and heal your gut too. I think that's really important. You you created a beautiful roadmap in the Gut Smart Protocol, and you you know after dealing with patients and and looking at things, but people have to still. This goes back to you know know yourself and how does things feel and what's your lifestyle. You know, I'm certainly not interested. I could care less about telling people what to do. And I, I get that from you too. It's like, these are invitations to explore and see how you're feeling and see what works. 
um, but also what's showing up. Um, I'm curious, you, you mentioned the bean thing because a lot of people will be like, oh, beans. But I did learn um, Simon Hill is a really knowledgeable uh, vegan, vegetarian advocate. And he does talk about in, if people want to introduce more beans, sometimes you have to do it slow. And you talk about soaking them and maybe it's not eating a ton at first that the body needs to get the right microbiome set up in order to digest them. So I just want to remind people of that. They go, I can't eat beans. It's like, well, you might be able to. There are some little hacks too, like uh, using kombu seaweed when you're cooking the beans. So that helps break down the sugar in the beans. And you can also add a little bit of baking soda as well to reduce the, the gassiness that's produced by the beans. But I also agree, you know, you're, anytime you're shifting your diet, you're actually also shifting the microbiome. So in this Stanford study, when they had people increase their fermented foods, they also started feeling a bit gassy initially by having more fermented foods. But by the end of the study, they were actually, that had leveled off and they were feeling okay. Yeah. So I, I just think those reminders that everything is, is sometimes go a little slow, go less, you know, soak it, do things that are more yeah, gentle. Don't, don't go American. I, don't supersize it. I know we do that all or nothing. <laughs> um, Galt G A L T. Um, can we, can we just mention that talk about that a little bit? The gut associated lymphatic tissue. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's, it's basically the, the housing of the immune system all along the gut lining. And, and it's super important because it's, it's basically like our border patrol. And it's sensing and checking what's coming through that gut lining. And whenever something gets through that is not supposed to get through, again, we're talking about leaky gut. Imagine that gut lining, this, this finely woven fabric with no holes between the cells. And then if it becomes leaky, it's like poking holes in between those cells. So now things can get through the gut lining that are not supposed to get through like partially digested protein particles. And we have these cells that we call dendritic cells. And they're kind of like the border patrol. They're just walking around. They're just kind of like, like, Hey, what's this? Uh, oh, I don't recognize this, this peanut protein. This is not something we know. Let me go present it to the T and the B cells and activate the immune response because I don't know who these are. And then on the other side of the gut lining, you've got the, the, the probiotic bacteria, the lactobacilli, for example, who are communicating with our immune system through that gut lining, this is quite fascinating because the, when you have the right amount of probiotic bacteria, they will, different, they will help T cells differentiate into T regulatory cells. And just like the name implies, the T regulatory cell is a cell that regulates the immune response. So basically keeps, it's a conductor that keeps the immune response from getting out of hand when it doesn't need to. And so, so we're having this, this co-regulation. We've got the border patrol. And at the same time, we've got the good guys on the other side saying, Hey guys, chill out. It's okay. Yeah. Relax. Everything's fine. We're keeping things. Border's good. 
you know, you guys over there, stay calm. Let's get some T-reg cells. We're going we're gonna to make sure you don't overreact. Let's not cause too much inflammation. That way we keep the rest of the body healthy. Yeah. I, f- I, I feel like sometimes in living and trying to be a human being, because by nature, right, we're anxious. We, we have certain things that are built within us to keep us alive. But that I always say exercise is a really cheap medicine. And if we can figure out how to keep our microbiome, it's almost like just an easier way to make things easier. The freest thing you can do is take a deep breath. Yeah. Just breathe. And it's, and it's actually a, a medicine. It's a tool that we carry and it's within our access. It's, it's like this incredible ability that we have to re-regulate our nervous system just by learning to breathe with our diaphragm and not breathing up here with our accessory muscles that gets your body into a state of healing. And everybody can do it. And it just requires, I have a whole lesson on that in chapter 10 on the vagus nerve on how to do deep diaphragmatic breathing, because then it becomes a foundation for the breath work and the meditation exercises that are in the other chapters that I included in the book, including from other teachers that we had and recorded. So people can actually go to gutsmartprotocol.com and watch the meditations, breath work, or listen if you just want the audio and you want to be able to do it at home, you go to gutsmartprotocol.com and you can check out those, um, those resources. So Dr. Pedre, I have to ask, you know, teenagers at that time in our life, I feel like that's when we eat the wildest food usually. And, you know, that's a lot of times you get hormones going and everyone thinks that skin issues is because of the hormones, but I can't help but think that it is a stressful time. It's kind of a confusing time of life, but also we're eating wild foods is that it's just only, I feel like skin issues get accentuated so much by, they probably are also um, experiencing kind of torching their gut simultaneously. Yeah. I kind of, it gives me an internal chuckle because when, when I was a kid, my, my family uh, migrated from Cuba to avoid communism. And my mother would tell me stories of family members that I never met. And I had a great uncle who was a doctor and he was not only like well-known and respected throughout the kind of like the entire center of Cuba, but he was also kind of a comedian and he would walk with my mom and look at people and tell her what their underlying issues were. And I always, as a child, I was fascinated by that. Like, well, how can he know just by looking at the person that they've got this and this and this? And, and now I can do that just by looking at someone. The skin is the outer picture of what's going on inside the gut. I call our gut our inner skin. And it's basically a mirror of what's happening on the outside. And when you see stuff on the skin, it's because things are happening. And a lot of times with teenagers... It has to do with the types of foods that they're eating, the processed foods, the sugar, the inflammatory oils, all of that is going to show up in the face. And I actually, I have a teenager myself, he's 19 years old now. So I watched him go through the teenage years. The thing is, we never raised him 
with using food as a reward. So we never created a reward system between like, oh, you behave well, let's go get ice cream or here's a cookie because if you behave well, I'll give you a cookie. So we were really sensitive to that. We never did that growing up. So we didn't want to create that that negative, it's almost like a positive negative association between food and reward because then what happens is that the adult is stressed and they feel, well, I deserve this ice cream because I'm stressed and I'm going to reward myself because I had a hard day. So I'm going to have that cookie or I'm going to have that donut. And, and I saw him go through his teenage years and go through his hormone spurred and everything and with barely any acne whatsoever. Yeah. You know, raised on whole foods, clean foods, lots of greens, whole things, not a lot of processed foods. And, and I would say the big ones to think about, whether it's an adult or, or a teenager, it's processed sugar that's going to show up on the face and it's affecting the gut microbiome and that shows up on the face. And, and also, interestingly, eating too many spicy foods, I've also seen that cause. You mean like the chips, the weird chips and stuff? Or when you say spicy, like, you mean like spicy? Yeah, like spicy, like, okay. you know, like oh. uh, jalapeno, all that. Like eating too many of those spicy sauces, that can also show up in the face. And it's, and it's something that I always love working with people because it's so easy to say, okay, Tell me how you're eating. I kind of already know, but tell me. And if we change certain things, your skin is going to start to clear up. Dairy also, by the way, dairy is another big one. Or eating those, you know, those health bars, you know, those protein bars that are supposed to be healthy, but you look at the ingredients and they've got like 13 grams of sugar and it's all sorts of, you know. Well, they have cacophorols and sunflower oil and all kinds of craziness in there. So in wrapping this up, uh, Dr. Pedre, the encouraging thing is that it feels like a mountain, but it actually, in some cases, the gut starts to heal very quickly. Like yeah, in a I mean, few even the microbiome, days, the, even the microbiome shifts within 24 to 48 hours by you changing the way that you're eating, now the, the, the more ingrained changes are going to take a bit longer. Like when you're rebuilding the gut and you're rebuilding gut diversity and you want to lower your inflammation, you, you can't think like, oh, I'm going to just change my diet for the weekend and I'll be fine by Monday. <laughs> you know, maybe you could do that when you were in your 20s. But if you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, you know, there's, there's more accumulated damage and it's going to happen. It's just, it's going to maybe take a little bit longer to get there. And the most important thing that you, you need is one, the knowledge that this stuff works and two, the the un the the blinded the unblinded commitment to continue even when it feels like it's not working because depending on and and you know what what I think is the shortest period where I see results is that two week period and that's why I made my program fourteen days long because fourteen days to me is the minimum 
to start to see shifts. My hope is that if you can just dedicate, like who can't do like 14 days, two weeks, that's not a lot. That's right. You get to those end of that, those 14 days, you start seeing some positive changes and then you stick with it for another 14 days. At the end of the month, you're going to feel very different than you felt on day one. And your score is going to have improved. And then if you continue that, like when I went gluten-free for the first time, I felt a progressive improvement. The first two weeks was uh, amazing. Like by the end of the two weeks, I had all this energy. But even at the end of the month, I felt even better. My gut was getting better. I was eating you know, more greens and bringing in fermented foods and taking probiotic. Uh, but I didn't imagine that at three months, I would feel better than I did at the end of the first month. Right. And that at six months, I felt even better in my body. It was hard to pinpoint exactly what the things were. But at six months, I felt even better than at three months. And sometimes it's just, it, it comes in subtle changes. But I, I say this for the people who get to the end of that first month or the end of the two weeks, and then they give up because they think, well, I haven't seen enough changes. What I, what I found is that sometimes the changes happen in little quantum steps, but it's like nothing is happening, nothing is happening, nothing is happening. And then suddenly you have a quantum improvement and you see a change. And and what that means is that during that period that you thought that nothing was happening, what was happening was at the microscopic level, tissues were healing, your gut is healing. Now, remember, the gut surface area is like as big as a tennis court. It's huge. So that doesn't heal overnight. And sometimes the level of healing, like is it, if this is your, your inflammation level, but this is your threshold, it's lower, your threshold for where you're going to start feeling things and this is month one, you haven't hit the threshold. So you're like, well, I feel a little better, but I'm not quite better. So I'm just going to go back to eating the way I used to eat. But then you get to month, month two, month three, then say you cross that threshold at month four, you know, it could be earlier. It depends on where your base was, how, how much inflammation, where were you before that? It could be at the end of month one, two, once you cross that threshold, you start to see the changes and it's like, I, I mean, who doesn't like when you go to the gym and you start feeling, you know, after a couple of weeks, you start feeling the effects of going to the gym and then you're addicted because you feel good. But the you that existed maybe two months ago didn't want to get up and you were lazy and, and you were resisting going to the gym. But once you break through that, there's all this energy that comes behind it. And the same thing happens when you heal the gut. Once you get to that certain point where you realize that you feel a certain way when you eat a certain way, it becomes super easy to say no to the things that you know are going to damage you. And that often in the beginning feels impossible. And, you know, I always want to couch the question to people in the end. It's like you're worth it. You, the person, is worth it. You're worth, you You should feel good. You should have energy. You shouldn't, it shouldn't be hard and feel creaky. And if you're trying to, you know, 
lose weight or you're navigating skin issues are very, very challenging. I have friends that have eczema and this is no joke. I mean, these are, these are difficult things. Um, to just encourage people to remember that they're, they're, they're valuable, they're worth it. And that, um, but you have to stand up for yourself and you also have to be accountable and, and your book, um, in, in the gut smart protocol, you really lay it out. Like the fact that you have the quiz and that people can navigate from wherever they're starting. And there's, and when I say this, I say this in a, in a, in a great way, you were able to hold our hand in the book to, you know, sort of discover, you know, what path people need to take. So I, I really appreciate how thoughtful it is and, and how complete it is. It isn't like, Hey, you got to heal your gut. It's like, yeah, okay. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. Um, and then in wrapping it up, um, and I know it's not for everybody, but are there supplements that you are like, these tend to be pretty, and I know we love food first, but is there anything on the, uh, you know, extra that I, I forgot that you go, Hey, this usually tends to be pretty supportive. Absolutely. L-glutamine, for example, very simple, a singular amino acid that has study after study supporting its effects in helping heal the gut, but also glycine, which is very rich in collagen. So collagen powder can be really great for the gut, um, also great for the skin. Uh, but collagen is rich in glycine and glycine is cellular. Uh, it basically helps with cellular repair. I'm also a big fan of leaky gut. We call them a leaky gut formula, gut supported formulas that have the L-glutamine, that have the marshmallow root extract, the slippery elm bark, the aloe, the DGL, all of these things together, like I put with some of the, the one of the products that I have with Happy Gut. And, and also, you know... What's Enhance? Is Enhance? enhance. What's Enhance? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah it's our, it's so our leaky gut more. formula. Yeah. That has, has all these things. And also zinc carnosine, because... A lot of these um, use different types of zinc, but it's really zinc carnosine, which has been shown to heal the lining of the stomach. So people with, uh, who are suffering from gastritis, this is a really good one for them. Of course, different types of probiotics, and I've used different probiotics throughout the years. The ones that are in Restore are clinically researched strains that reduce inflammation, improve uh, gut motility, and help reestablish the balance of the microbiome. But there are other ones out there that I'm a big fan of, like spore-based probiotics. I use them a lot, especially in people who are really bloated or people who have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or are battling with that. Then I go for a spore-based probiotic first and stay away from all of the other traditional types of probiotics. I'm also a really big fan of well, things like if you're going on antibiotics, Saccharomyces boulardii is a great adjunct. It's a gut protector. It protects and coats the gut lining. So if you're going on antibiotics, then go on Saccharomyces boulardii at the same time. It's part of what I do with my own patients. Every time I'm putting them on antibiotics, I'm putting them on a gut recovery protocol at the same time. And there's something else called, so people probably know colostrum is, is it the kind of like the, the part of milk that has all the immune factors. But a lot of people have dairy sensitivity and might have an immune reaction to even some of the, still some of the dairy proteins that might be in colostrum. And for those, I really like serum-derived bovine immunoglobulins or SBIs. 
And they've been shown to bind things like endotoxin, they bind mycotoxins, they help improve the integrity of the gut lining. So for healing the gut lining and for anybody who tends to suffer more with diarrhea side, I know there's a lot of people out there who have constipation, but there's also a lot of people who have IBSD with diarrhea or mixed IBS. For those people, the SBIs work amazing and you might have to cycle on, on and off because they tend to cause constipation. So you have to be careful with that. And so I'm usually, when I'm working one-on-one with people, I'm teaching them how to use the supplements and how to take them because sometimes you've got to be able to take a little more, maybe take a little less, depending on what's happening in your body. For, and same thing with magnesium, like taking magnesium for constipation or triphala for constipation, which is a, it's a combination of three Indian superfruits that help with gut motility. Um, those... You, you sometimes have to take more, you sometimes take less. So it's not a, you're not always taking the same dose. You've got to learn to listen to your body and regulate the amount that you take uh, depending on how your gut and your body is behaving. Okay, just to remind people, because it's a lot, the Gut Smart Protocol and uh, Dr. Vincent Pedre, thank you so much for your time. I know we had we were a little glitchy, but this message is so important because it is such a foundation for people's health, like you said. And, uh, you know, we, we want everyone to feel as, as good as they can. And just to remind them also to just take a deep breath. So thank you for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This was uh, great to be on here and share this message with your audience. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you want to learn more, there is a ton of valuable information on my website. All you have to do is go to gabriellereese.com or head to the episode show notes to find a full breakdown with helpful links to studies, research, books, podcasts, and so much more. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out and send them to at Gabby Reese on Instagram. And if you feel inspired, please subscribe. I'll see you next week. This podcast is brought to you by Laird Superfood. In 2015, Laird Superfood was created, but it was really actually created in my kitchen by my husband, Laird. And he was always experimenting with coffees and other ingredients for performance. And lo and behold, Laird Superfood was born. And we have beautiful coffees and creamers and protein bars and other things. But one of the things I'm very excited about is our new greens product. A lot of Americans are not getting enough fruits and vegetables, something like 85% are not getting enough vegetables and 80% are not getting enough fruit and we need fiber. So for me personally, I'm always trying to encourage people, and I know this is Laird's philosophy as well, is real food, right? Let's try to get as much of the good stuff, the minerals, the nutrients, the macro, the micronutrients from real food, but it's hard to do. Our soil's different, people are busy. Maybe you don't know what you're getting at your grocery store. So this is a way to get it done and bridge some of those nutritional gaps. And what I also really appreciate about it, besides that it tastes good, I just do it in water first thing in the morning, then I'm done. And then I actually go and have my coffee after, but we use upcycled fruits and veggies. So things that won't go to waste, maybe they're not really pretty. So we use them in our fruits and veggies. We use no fillers. So your body actually knows what to do with the ingredients. They know how to absorb it. There's fiber. 
And also we never use any artificial or natural flavors. Uh, this is something that is harder than people realize because to amplify flavors, a lot of times even you know using natural flavors is the way to do it. So I'm excited to share with you. And if you'd like to try it out, all you have to do is go to layeredsuperfood.com. And if you punch in the code Gabby, G-A-B-B-Y 20, you will receive 20% off. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.